mortgages can be a dry subject. So here's your oasis in the desert. It's the podcast that will get you talking and thinking, or more likely drinking. The Lennon to his McCartney, the Bert to his Ernie. It's the one and only Mortgage Stew and his sidekick Martin at the LM Experience. Well, here we are, episode 17 of the LM Experience. Hello, Stu, how are you? I'm fine, thank you, Martin. Yourself? I'm very good, thank you. Well, hot, hot on the the, uh, the heels of our last chat, we've got uh, another legend in the studio today. Uh, we've got Mr. Dale Janels from Atom Mortgages. Hello, Dale, how are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very Is much for legend coming Legend or legend? I can think of a lot of names for you, I'll be honest <laughs> with you, uh, Dale. But, um, look, you know, we've been, we've been industry friends with you and Stu for a number of years. You're, you're one of the good guys in the industry. Industry. Um, I remember ringing. Uh, I remember ringing Atom Mortgages back in 1999, and your dad picked the phone up. Sure, you are a real kind of family. Or he's about 75 back then, wasn't he? I mean, he's still he's still actively <laughs> yeah. involved in the industry uh, and the business now, isn't he, uh, Dale? Too much, absolutely. Yeah, yep. I've um, changed the locks. I've, uh, <laughs> I've done. I've done everything. He keeps, he keeps coming back. <laughs> no, um, to be honest. Well, that big, big feat to follow from day one. Um, and, you know, I joined the company in 1999 and he's been a well-known entity since then. And over the last few years, I've tried to, um, you know, to take over the reins from him. But we actually make a really good team. And that's the real benefit of being a family business is you can have conversations all day long. You can make a decision there and then. We're family owned, family run, family yeah. funded. Yeah. My brother's in the business. All the wives are in the business. Um, my daughter has been in it for a short time. Right. So out of the 35-plus staff that we've got, you know, six, seven, You're eight of them have always been yeah. your channels. And it makes, mm. makes a very interesting Sunday roast round mums because we, <laughs> we can have a good you know, banter around the table, make some decisions and move forward on a Monday morning. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Is it a different type of challenge, do you think, for a family business to stay on top of your game as opposed to, let's say, a third-party company where everybody, cause there's no, they're, they're all there. But if you see what sure. I mean, there isn't the same sort of level of personal interest. It's probably a different sort of dynamic, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think there's a lot of people in our industry have been propped up by funders, investors, and so on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I, and from my point of view, um, I'm going to be biased and say that we will provide a better service without that because we're more interested in building a relationship with that end person rather than having to make money to pay back the funders that have put money mm. into the you, company. You're in the first more place. emotionally attached. As Indeed, a absolutely, and you know that's that. I think that comes through with a lot of the, lot of the brokers that we deal with because mm. we've had a lot of like you two guys. You know, we've known a lot of people in the industry for a long time, yeah. and have dealt with them on that basis. So. Well, I mean, look, you know, it's unique what you do. I can't think of any other business in in the mortgage world that is that is family run. Um, but but you've been around. That's the point. The longevity. You were sure. here pre credit crunch, long time before the credit crunch. Sure. And you look back now to some of the brands that were around your competitors pre two thousand seven. Yeah. They're no longer here. Not, if, Correct. If there are yeah, some. Yeah. There aren't many. That's yeah, the thing, there's, there's a few that we yeah. know of, and we're all good friends in the industry. Um, some have bounced a few times and then yeah. come back with different names or, or whatever else. Yeah. Um, but in the main, the long the long termers, um, you know, we're we're very good friends with, and we'll have weekly, monthly conversations with some of them. Um, with regards to how do we help each other, yeah, and that's that's where it works really well because I think the whole package of community has changed and it's had to change since the crash in two thousand eight because what we were doing before then is obviously different now. Mm. But actually, we are still a packager. We still collate all the information. We still make sure it fits. We still won't give that to the lender until we've got all the information required. 
So if we require three pay slips and someone sends us two, no, we're not going to send that to the lender. Yeah, we're going to yeah. wait until we've got everything, yeah. check the affordability. At the end of the day, we don't get paid like the broker doesn't get paid until that case completes. So it's in our interest to get that through as quickly as possible. Mm. We've got a great team um, and they are targeted on day one offers. So it's in their interest to help the broker out, to get that information, get it ready and packaged, and, and off it goes. And in fact, now we're going back a little bit round in a circle to 2008 because we've got lender on-site underwriters back in the office. Yeah. So lenders are actually putting the underwriters in-house, which makes us quicker than sometimes going to the lender themselves. And of course, we get exceptions. Because mm. so, of, of the volume that you create for that particular lender. Oh, so yeah, and the trust, trust levels as well, isn't it? In terms of the trust that's built up. Correct. And, those relationships. And, and behind the scenes, some of these on-site underwriters are actually targeted to do exceptions each month. Right. So out of the volume of business they do, and they have to underwrite, there has to be a percentage that is actually outside the ordinary. Which is great for us, mm. because that means we can help you guys with something that doesn't quite fit the high street. Or the high street have taken a long time to say no, we can get it through quicker. I think the thing is as well, sometimes from a broker's perspective, I think we can have relationships with direct BDMs from lenders, for example. And I think the worst, uh, when your heart drops as a broker is when you speak to a lender BDM and say, well, we'll, we'll take a look at it. Because that generally kind of doesn't give any commitment Absolutely. either way. Yeah. Whereas in the perspective of sometimes you can make a call to a, to a packaging firm like yourselves, have a discussion about a case, and it's more a case of that you give all the information that you need to over across and it's a case of that the discussion is had to a level before there's any commitment to proceed sure. and Absolutely. I think that that makes a huge difference in terms of the from from the client's perspective as well when we do go back to them and say right this is where we stand on things at the moment then they've got more confidence in what we're doing rather than putting an application to one lender an underwriter looks at it after a week and then suddenly it's a no yeah and I think that's there's a lot of weight to that type of arrangement Absolutely. where there's and we're not talking just small loans some of the one of the underwriters that we have um, from one of the lenders has a two million pound mandate hmm. so up to two million pounds she doesn't need a second signature at all All right. in which case again speed is of the essence get an evaluation instructed quickly to appease the estate agents yeah. and normally we understand it, it's been to two or three places before it comes to us so actually we're already on the back foot before the case even comes to our front door so they've tried it themselves absolutely Struggles. gone to a high street yeah. it's been declined hmm. or whatever reason it's come to us we've got it approved yeah. by the Bell other side sitting yes. in our office um, and away it goes yeah so what uh, I mean you're, you're at the cold face there because you, you you get introduced business from lots of brokers nationally so what what what, what trends are you seeing in the marketplace at the moment where, where, where do you see the growth um, coming that's a good, really good question. That's, that's a really aptly timed point as well, because I think now lending into later life is huge. And yes, yeah. it's the buzzwords and Rio and, and whatever else. But to be factual, some of the building societies have been doing this since 1996. You know, mm-hmm. we dealt with the Holmesdale right at, right at the start who were doing this sort of stuff. And then we dealt, dealt a lot with the Buckinghamshire and the Dudley and the Harpenden and yeah. the list goes on. Um, but it's really become a consumer education piece at the moment mm-hmm. where the consumer will receive a letter from the lender having had a 25-year interest-only mortgage two years out saying we want our money back Mm. it doesn't say go and see a broker who can help you lending into later life go and see an equity release provider because that might be right for you you know, there, there's lots of options you can do. It just says, we want our money back. So, of course, mm. a lot of people panic. Yeah, you would or they bury their head in, head in the sand for a couple of, you know, a few months. Yeah. And then six months out, they get another letter saying, oh, six months till the money's got to be repaid. 
Of course, now they're at panic stations. Um, so I think lending into later life is huge. Um, we've got probably 10 out of our 20-odd lenders who have no maximum age limit. So mm-hmm. a straightforward standard mortgage, no equity release exam, qualifications required. Um, we can do 10-year terms for a 94-year-old on interest only, depending on the loan-to-value and the affordability, obviously. Um, the other bits, buy-to-lets. Mm. You know, it would just be nice if the buy-to-let market was just left alone for a couple of years, <laughs> but it's not. It's been hammered, yeah. isn't it? Absolutely. And of course, we've got the October rules coming in for HMOs, mm-hmm. which again... If a broker is not on top of it, if it's not his mainstay business, he probably doesn't have the relationship with the clients when they come to him and say, what are we going to do? Yeah. Or have you got limited company lenders who will do this and so on and so on? Yeah. Um, so we get a lot of people who refer actually business to us to take on on behalf of them because they're not, they haven't got the experience to do it. Um, the other thing, obviously, is adverse. As we are seeing more and more um, volumes going through the high street, we're seeing more and more volumes being declined. Mm. And you've only got a cough these days and you've got a default registered against yeah. your name on a Vodafone bill or... or whatever utility bill, etc. Yeah. Um, in which case, you failed a credit score, and where do you go next? Well, those are the sort of things that our guys, um, Kensington came out last week with a 95%. So actually now, you can have historic adverse, historic defaults, etc., and just have a 5% um, purchase, mm-hmm. uh, 5% deposit for your purchase. So actually... The lenders are finding gaps in the market, which is really good, which is absolutely what we need. They need to, don't they? They've got to grow their book. Because at the moment, it's quite vanilla. A lot of lenders have the same criteria. That's what I find. There's no real differentiators between a lot of the top 10 lenders. They've all moved on to each other's patch. Yes, they have. But I don't think they're allowed. The credit teams are still effectively having Mm. the end say in products. Yeah. And not the sales teams. So the sales teams will see the gap in the marketplace. So they've got to get it through credit and the red tape and maybe the FCA at the end. Um, and we're still not quite getting all of the traction that maybe the high streets could get mm-hmm. based on the gaps in the marketplace. Well, it's also it's the willingness as well, isn't it, to for them to discuss individual cases, like the background of why certain things happened. Because the type of examples you've given there of uh, Vodafone or communications default or British Gas is another big favourite. Where in, in, I had one recently where basically. Uh, somebody had moved, the final bill was sent at British Gas's error to the old address instead of the new address that they'd given sure. them. And as a result, they slapped them on the default for 70-odd pounds. Well, a lot of them are just, are, are, the, the, first thing they, the first default is to default someone, isn't it? Just, yeah. You just look at it, it and worry about is, it later. Yeah. But the, the, the key comes into it is that then you've got the smaller lenders who do show the flexibility at the underwriting stage where they'll want to know and this is the difference between High Street and them, is that they'll want to know what happened and the reasoning behind it to consider it. Whereas you talk to most High Street lender BDMs about something like that, it's like, well, sorry, it's outside of policy. Can't consider it. But then again, that's the joys of having lenders sitting actually in our offices. Exactly. Um, And they can have that conversation and make the decision there and then. Mm. Um, And the other one that's on the increase is bridging. Yeah, Massive, right. okay. Massively on the increase, yeah. um, especially what? with Brexit around the corner. There's a lot of people who are holding back purchasing properties or developers aren't selling properties and therefore having to refinance to get rid of the development mm-hmm. loans, get onto a cheaper rate on a bridging function, facility, you know, two-year it's, term. It's saving change as well, I think, isn't it? Because some people can't sell as well. As Absolutely. A result. And, and Absolutely. that's where bridging's kind of, where, where we've seen a bit of an upturn mm. has been, we can't sell the house. We've found the dream house. What can we do? Yeah. Um, and you tend to find it's normally the last person in the chain that all of a sudden decides, actually, I'm not going to pre- proceed with this. Yeah. And therefore, a quick quick fix is to, you know, chain break finance, get some bridging on that property before, you know, while it's still being sold, but yeah. it allows the rest of the chain to complete. Mm. And that's probably our biggest part at the moment, although the developer side is definitely coming onto the radar. Is there, is there plenty of funding out there uh, on the bridging side? There seems to be lots of bridging lenders. 
Um, get lots of emails. Yes. Anyway. We're, we're one of those companies that won't deal with everybody. Yeah. We want to have a select few lenders on both the resi side, the buy-select side, and the bridging side, where we can actually give decent volume of business with. And mm. then you also build a relationship with them as well. So I can't talk about everybody, but the guys that we deal with on a day-to-day basis are brilliant. Yeah. Work really, really well. And are interested in actually getting things through as quickly as possible. That's always the key, isn't it, to be honest? Because you do see the difference, and I've seen it before, and I've, I've done research on bridging cases where the difference in levels between the lenders that are involved sort of thing in terms of reaction times level of documentation that they issue upon an initial inquiry even can vary and and all of that coming into play and certainly the relationship that you get back from them gives you a good kind of handle as to how a case may go mm. at that point because sometimes for a broker it, it becomes that sort of snap decision where you know you've got to get things moving and you look obviously at total cost for client is obviously paramount but the main thing then is you look beyond that point and saying right if things are really close what are their service levels on this? these elements yeah. that are really why you're doing it? So sure. it's, it's got to all fit in that respect as well, hasn't it? Oh, Dale, one quick question for you then, put you on the spot with all your experience. If you could change one thing in the mortgage market today, if you had a magic wand, mm. where would you cast it? Good question. Um, the thing that bugs me the most is affordability. Yeah, We see time after time, and I'm sure the brokers that listen to the, the podcast here to see it time after time, you'll have someone who rents a property has done for the last two or three years, without fail, never missed a payment, at £1,200 a month. The comparable mortgage they can get on their income only works out about £600 a month. Mm-hmm. Still how <laughs> does that... Yeah, how does that... You've, you've got an absolute rent record of history, experience, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They can afford every single month. And to buy their house, obviously, is going to be cheaper, it's going to be better for them. The rent, the, the Secure, mortgage, yeah. But they can't do it on affordability because it just doesn't fit the income multiples. It's a, it's a good point. I think that probably ties in with a podcast that we did previously with Linda Blackwell from from uh, from the FCA, if you remember. We mm. talked about her own experience about a mortgage and her her, her, um, her situation. Um, she kind of said, "Well, look, you know, we come up with the rules, but then it's it's how the lenders interpret that. So mm. actually, the solution might be right in front of us. It's just how we interpret that information. So the affordability sure. actually might be better." for the consumer, it's up to the lenders to then maybe try and be a little bit more flexible about how they interpret those affordability rules. Yeah. I've got to make a sweeping generalisation here about lenders. but like them. Yeah. They do move like sheep. <laughs> All it takes is for one or two lenders, mainstream lenders, to make that comparative jump. Sheep analogy again, you see. <laughs> um, in terms of then the rest of them would follow mm. in that respect. At the moment, I think they're, they're all running scared of the, F- of the FCA, sadly, and falling foul of their checking procedures, for example, if they do to make that jump. But I don't, I don't think the lend- no lender wants to be the first person out of the gate to, to keep the sheep analogy some, going, Stu. Yeah, some lenders are doing sort of six times income, and some will do yeah. a little bit more. But, of course, they're, they're restricted on the percentage of business they can do over four and a mm. half times income. And they're probably smaller lenders, so they might not have the, 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 the large loans that yeah. maybe the south mm. and the southeast would, but, would but kind of require. The frustration, like you say, is back to that used to be traditional underwriting. Yeah, I can remember it seeing the history. That. It's not right for everybody, but if yeah. they've got the history and they've got the experience and they've got a proven track record, mm. then I but think there's an element of thinking outside the box. I think Stu makes a good point there because what, what you're talking about having your in-house underwriters down at Atom is that that's manual underwriting. Mm. A human being can look at that. That's not a load of algorithms that a computer's churned right. out and come yeah. up with a completely yeah, yeah. different decision. So that's a, that's a unique selling point that some of these smaller lenders have, and it's probably mm. a unique selling point that Atom sure. have got. Absolutely. And the other thing um, you know, that bugs me at the moment is the amount of smoke and mirrors that's happening in the marketplace. <laughs> you know, we talk about technology, 
and yep. technology. We obviously have set up a separate company, yep. one mortgage system, OMS, etc. that integrates with lenders. Um, there's lots of people talking about they can do it, they might be able to do it, they'll do it in a year's time, they'll do it in 10 years' time, they can do this, that, and the other. Just have a look at them, you know, drill, drill down into actually what is the happening detail. out there in the current climates mm-hmm. before you put your hand in your pocket and, you know, sign up for a contract. Cause I it's, think it's a good point because there, are, there seems to be loads of them or um, variations of a theme. And it, you know, this all costs brokers money. Absolutely. You know, and um, at a time when you've got increasing regulatory costs um, as well, uh, and the fact that, you know, as we often say, procuration fees haven't really moved with inflation over the last 10 years, you know, it's another expense that the broker needs to look at to find out, you know, what, what system is good for them. Uh, I mean, t- tell, me, tell us about OMS, um, Dale, if you can. Um, yeah, thank you, I will. Um, it was one of those things where we needed an internal system for Atom. And having looked at the shelf, um, what was available out there, it wasn't really um, doing what we needed needed it to do mm-hmm. as a packager, as a broker, and dealing with networks and lenders and so on. So we actually created our own. And um, to cut a long story short, um, a broker can put a fact find on his website. Client can fill out the fact find whilst watching EastEnders tonight. Uploads into the clients into the broker's own system. He can do um, a quick source, hold a market, evidence of research. He can download all the application forms pre-populated. He can now go one stage further, and he can instruct the solicitors, accountants, AVMs, credit searches, and so on, and then actually put it right into the lender's own system. Mm-hmm. So with Precise, with Together, Shawbrook, Foundation, and one other, Kent Reliance, um, we can get a t- full two-way integration response back into our system. So the broker never needs to leave our system to go into the lender's, the lender's system. It's a massive time-saving yeah, process there, isn't we it? We did quite a lot of research right at the outset, and we found quite a lot of brokers who were well in excess of six different inputs onto various systems to get their, their client information onto you know, the, the DIP system, the application, the fact finder, and so on. Mm-hmm. One had actually done it 11 times. Well, yeah. that's 11 times you can get something wrong. If we're only doing it down to one input right from the start, and most of the time that's the client, and yes, we've got to check everything, make sure the client feels in correctly and so on, but at least you've only got one input all the way through from start to finish. It's consistency you've got from the beginning. And it's you? live now. That's the mm. big thing. And if brokers are interested, because I think brokers are always talking to me about CRM systems, what's the best, what would they have to do? Um, Just log on to the website. Yeah. Um, Google One Mortgage System. It comes straight up. Um, they can have a test. They can have a trial period. They mm. can have a chat with the guys. We'll come out and do demos and so on and so on. We're really interested in this is not a profit-making, massive profit-making company. This is something we want to build a relationship with because the more people we get on board, yeah. the bigger lenders, the high street lenders and so on are looking at us to actually take this on as well. So, well, yeah. Excellent. Well, Full listen, like I said, I've got a lot of time for, for the Janels family. I've got a lot of time for Atom. You've been good guys. You've been around in the in the good times and the bad and, you know, that says a lot about you guys. So Thank I wish you all the best with that. Um, uh, any other questions uh, for Dale Wallace here, um, um, I, th- I think overall with it, to be honest, I think we've we've covered some really good areas today, yeah. and I think we've we've got some good points as well. We could perhaps revisit in the future as the market continues yeah, to develop. Abso- I absolutely, think. I think that probably warranted more than eighteen minutes, but we ran out of time there. So we'll, we'll end with the usual question, uh, Dale. What's your, what's your football team? The mighty Reds of Anfield. Oh, how embarrassing. I had no idea you were going to say that, but what a fine choice of a football team there, Dale. It's quite fortunate we've got Stu here as well, because, you know, he supports the... The, um, the second the, Liverpool team. Yeah, the, the academy. Yeah, we didn't call it the academy club, the, club yeah. the feeder club for the mighty club, Reds. We'll, we'll have them back when they've lost their value. <laughs> we've increased their value. Uh, well, yeah, apart from... You, couldn't so, afford, so, you can't apart afford from, to buy them back. Apart from one of the central defenders. Anyway, on that bombshell. Listen, Dale, thank you very much for your time. It's been thank really useful. Stu, that's episode 17. It is indeed. That's that's done and dusted. Fantastic. Brilliant. Okay, well, thanks for your time, Stu. Thanks, Dale. Thanks for all the previous guests as well. Uh, If you've got any 
questions. Yep, you can certainly come through to us on our Twitter feed, which is at the LM Experience on Twitter. You can also suggest some future guests if you wish as well. We look forward to speaking to you again soon. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And please subscribe and follow us on Twitter. And remember, there ain't no party like a highly regulated mortgage party. And your home may be repossessed if you do not keep up repayments on a mortgage or any other debt secured on it. Yeah.